0: Our scripture reading is from Luke chapter 6, verse 1 through 11. On the Sabbath, while he, was still going through, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, the son of man Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man there whose right hand was withered and the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they would find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, "Come and stand here." And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, "I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to, or to destroy it?" And after looking around at them, after looking around at them all, he said to them, "Stretch out your hand." And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and disgust with one another, a way that they, another what. Discuss with one another what they might do with Jesus. Nate.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. So that's Nate and Gary Wojciechowski. They join us on... Saturday evening. we we have some really cool families here, and I'm thankful for the Wojciechowskis. Gary also helps in youth ministry, and Nate's in the youth ministry, and uh, yeah, they're just an awesome, awesome family. So thankful for you guys helping out Gary and, and Nate. So thank you for reading, man. You killed it. You did great. All right, so hopefully you have your Bibles open this evening. That's important that you're going to have your Bibles in front of you, uh, because we're going to look throughout this entire passage at different points, and You want to make sure that what I'm saying is true and that it's right and that it's accurate and that it's actually there. So make sure your Bibles are open and they're in front of you as we work through this passage together. Really excited uh, for this passage in particular. And it was one of those, uh, it's one of these sermons that I'm going to be preaching to myself just as much as I'm preaching to you as well. And truthfully, that's how every sermon should be, right? That whoever is preaching it is equally preaching it to themselves as well. So I just I hope that you know that as I preach through this, this evening with you, um, as we have this conversation, maybe we'll say, uh, that this is just as applicable to me. This is one of those sermons, if Leah was here with me, I feel like she would be laughing as I'm preaching it, like, yeah, right, buddy. You've got uh, you to practice what you preach. You know what I mean? So I'm going to do my best to preach this sermon in a way that encourages all of us. Uh, and as you'll see pretty quickly on, uh, this evening we're talking about the Sabbath, okay? We're talking about Sabbath or rest. So I, my guess would be that many of you in this room, along with myself, struggle with rest, finding rest, true rest, not just physically finding rest but spiritually finding rest and so this is a really important topic in scripture and Jesus speaks right to this issue it's really important to God rest is critically important to God as we'll see and it's something that we all need not like I said just physical rest but also spiritual rest because all of us struggle with restlessness in our lives This constant feeling and this need to do more and to be better and to achieve more and to set higher goals and to accomplish more. We struggle with leaving things left undone or feeling like we don't have direction or whatever it might be. This is something that to some degree every single one of us struggles with. And so a really important passage that we're looking at. And tonight what we're going to reveal through scripture or see through scripture is that Jesus is the Lord of rest. He is the Lord of rest, and it's the purpose for which he came, one of the purposes for which he came uh, to our world. So we're continuing now in our summer series, Summer in the Sun. It's been an awesome series so far. We've been taking a closer look at Jesus through the Gospel of Luke. So that's where we've been. And so far, over all of summer, we've only made it to Luke chapter 6, but that's okay. We're gonna actually be going back to the Acts series uh, at the end of our summer series. I hope that you're excited for that. I told Pastor Tim that it was kind of a little bit of a sneaky thing that he did because Luke wrote Luke and Acts. So we never really left Acts, right? This is part one and Acts is part two. If you didn't know that, Luke was also the author of Acts as well, which is where we'll be headed again, hopefully here uh, in the fall. So we've been in the Gospel of Luke, taking a closer look at Jesus. Last week, if you were with us, we discussed the call of Levi or Matthew. Remember, Levi's name changed to Matthew. Matthew went on to write... what is in our Bible, the first book of the New Testament, right? Mark was actually chronologically the first book written, but as you open the New Testament, you open to Matthew. And so last week, Pastor Tim took us through the call of Levi, or Matthew, and he landed at the end of that message really pointing out uh, how Jesus ate dinner with tax collectors and sinners, talking about the grace of our God, right? We've got our lives figured out, right? We've tidied up our lives for the most part since we've come to Christ. And so maybe that doesn't land as heavily on us as it should, but it was really significant that Jesus ate with the tax collectors and the sinners. And it was really interesting to take note of how when Levi, Matthew, was saved, immediately he invited his friends to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, to, to learn about Jesus. There was no class that he had to go through before he introduced people to Jesus. You know what I mean? His life was changed by Christ and immediately he shared Christ with those around him, which is, should be at least an encouragement to us, those of us who are believers, that there should be no gap. There should be no part in our walk with God where we feel like oh I've probably got to figure out some more things before I actually take the leap of sharing my faith with my neighbor share what you know share what Christ has done in your life share your testimony if Matthew can do it uh, then uh, if Matthew can do that we can do that as well and find encouragement through that and so we see Jesus eating with the tax collectors and sinners but of course this bothered the religious people didn't it This upset the religious people, and so what we see really emerging here in the Gospel of Luke is a significant theme that is developing, and that theme is of conflict. Conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day. Uh, We've talked about the Pharisees and then the scribes or the teachers of the law, the pastors and the lawyers of that time. And so there's this theme developing of conflict with the religious leaders. And as we'll see here today, in these passages that we're looking at, this is no different. This conflict continues. And this conflict that we see emerging in the Gospel of Luke is something that will ultimately lead to Jesus's arrest and ultimately his trial, and then his death, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. And so all of these conflicts that we see taking place is a foreshadowing of where Jesus is headed. He's causing trouble, and that trouble is going to land him in a place where he's arrested and ultimately killed uh, for what he is doing and for his teaching. Another theme that we see developing, though, um, in this passage and throughout Luke as well, and it's really important that we take notice of this, is the authority of Jesus. The authority that Jesus has to do what he's doing, to teach the way that he's teaching, or to teach with authority, or to perform the healings that he performs, Jesus has an authority that none of the other teachers have. Where does that authority come from? Well, we've already talked about some of this. We already know that Jesus was baptized and that when he was baptized, the voice of God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, right? which is like the uh, commissioning of Jesus's ministry. And it's from God the Father that Jesus receives the authority to do the things that he does here on earth. Actually, nothing that Jesus does is separated from the will of the Father. And so Jesus has a certain level of authority that is greater than the teaching of the church at that time. And we wanna pay attention to Jesus's authority. And how that authority should convince us as the readers of the book of Luke to believe in the person of Jesus Christ. Because that's what Luke is trying to do. Luke is trying to provide for you and I, the readers of his gospel, sufficient evidence supporting the authority of Christ. That convinces us to live our lives as followers and disciples of Jesus. Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a disciple of Christ? Have you been convinced? Well, if you haven't been convinced yet, I hope that I can convince you just a little bit more this evening. Ultimately, that is God, who is the Holy Spirit, who is convincing us. So if you look back from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, this issue of authority is immediately on display. We discussed the call of Christ already and followed Jesus then as he left after being baptized, driven into the desert. He goes back to his hometown. He goes back to Nazareth. Pastor Tim preached on this at the beginning of this series. And it's there in Nazareth where people think to themselves, wait a minute, isn't that Jesus? Isn't that Joseph's son? Isn't that the the child who was born out of wedlock? Isn't that Jesus, the carpenter's son? Isn't that the, the guy that, you know, he definitely wasn't voted most likely to succeed? You know what I'm saying? Like, he was just an average man. Isn't that who this Jesus is? I recognize him. And Jesus takes the opportunity to teach with authority in such a way that it offends the people in his hometown, which is where Jesus says a prophet is without honor in his hometown, and leads the people of Nazareth to try and kill Jesus. But Jesus knew that that wasn't the time. And so he was able to miraculously sneak out through the crowd without anybody even noticing that he made his way past them. And so as we continue now to follow Jesus throughout Galilee, that's where we are, somewhere in the sun, we're in the area and region of Galilee, we now see two more conflicts that he faced with the religious leaders concerning the Sabbath. Concerning the Sabbath. And there's so much more going on in this passage than I have the ability to cover in just one message. I'm going to try and cram as much as I can into it and you'll probably have to forgive me for that. It's just I got so excited as I dove into these stories and I realized that something upon a simple reading, like we can just read past it and not realize the significance of what's taking place. And there's so much more than meets the eye And we have to really stop and consider the significance of these two accounts regarding the Sabbath, and we have to think about them from a biblical perspective. What's really going on here, okay? So for us to understand what's taking place, we need to appreciate the importance of the Sabbath in Judaism. Honoring the Sabbath was extremely important to the Jewish religion. As outlined by the law in Exodus chapter 20, if you go to Exodus chapter 20, you'll read what we know as the 10 Commandments. This is where we find the 10 Commandments, and we'll notice that keeping the Sabbath is the fourth commandment, right? The first four commandments deal with Israel's relationship with God, And then the remaining six deal with Israel's relationship with others. Love the Lord your God and love others, right? That's kind of the two commands that Jesus boils down the Ten Commandments into. And so the fourth commandment here we see is the commandment to honor the Sabbath and to keep it holy. You can go back and read about that in in Exodus chapter 20. However, what you'll notice is that this isn't where the first introduction of the Sabbath is instituted. This isn't where the, the, the Sabbath wasn't celebrated or honored by the Israelites because of the Ten Commandments, right? It actually goes all the way back — you're tracking with me, I'm sure, right? — to creation. That's where we see the Sabbath introduced. It goes all the way back to creation where there were six days where God had created the world, and then God, what? He did what? He rested on the seventh day. That is where the Sabbath, that's where we get the idea of the Sabbath from. So the Sabbath was one of two primary and distinct practices in Judaism. It was the Sabbath and circumcision. And these two practices marked the Jewish people as separate from the rest of the world. And if you study the Sabbath from the Old Testament, what you'll learn pretty early on is that there's not much said by way of how to honor the Sabbath. It just tells us to honor the Sabbath, right? It doesn't say how to. Of course, it says that we shouldn't work, that we shouldn't labor. We know that, right? That's why Chick-fil-A... It's closed on Sundays, which is always so disappointing after church when you're thinking, let's go to Chick-fil-A, and then you immediately remember, oh, Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. So we don't work on the Sabbath. That's, that's the idea. We, we gather that idea from, from the Old Testament, but there's not much really said by way of teaching what it means to honor and what is work really, Right? And so the Old Testament doesn't really give us a whole lot of understanding how we should honor the Sabbath. And since there was a lack of instruction, like uh, a good religious person does, we make up the rules, don't we? We make rules for rules. I don't know if you're a rule follower. I'm a rule follower. If you know me, that's just who I am. If there's a rule, I'll make two or three rules to prevent me from breaking that rule. Do you know what I'm saying? And so that's what the religious leaders do. They're so afraid of, of Israel. The Pharisees are so afraid of Israel losing favor with God. They begin to put these fences around the Sabbath. It's really pretty remarkable. The 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 Pharisees, the people at the time of Christ, they didn't actually study the Word of God. What they studied was the oral traditions of other teachers who wrote about the Word of God. That's what they studied. They didn't read God's Word. They read about what other people had to say about God's Word. And those people who spoke about God's Word compiled all of their own teachings about what God's word says, and they came up with 39 rules regarding the Sabbath, how to keep the Sabbath. And if you look this up, it's called the Mishnah. And in the Mishnah, there are these 39 rules, 40 minus one is what they said. There are these 39 rules that outline how you shouldn't be working or what work actually is. Crazy rules. I mean, you could limit your steps to a thousand steps in a day. You could sew, but you could only sew one stitch. If you sewed two stitches, you broke the rule, you broke the Sabbath. You could pick up your kid, but if you picked him up, you better make sure he has nothing in his pockets because if he had something in his pockets, you were lifting a burden, right? And so they had all of these crazy rules concerning how to keep the Sabbath, and they got so far away from the intention of the Sabbath that it was filled with endless implications. There was just no way that the Sabbath was accomplishing what God intended to accomplish it when accomplished when he established it in in Genesis. It was no longer restful. It was worrisome and fearful and anxiety producing, right? And that's what we already struggle with, don't we? We already struggle with feeling like we aren't doing enough. And now, the religious leaders take a day that was provided by God for rest and they complicate that. They tie up heavy burdens and they place them on people when they themselves can't even fulfill it. So what this this, um, reveals in us, I think this is important for us to admit, there's a Pharisee in each of us. You realize that, right? There's a religious person inside of every single one of us And this reveals that there is something inside of us that recognizes we are deeply flawed as people. I mean that there is a particular restlessness telling us that we are not doing enough. I would guess that most of us in this room have struggled with this feeling to some degree. Some of us try to deal with this restlessness by filling our calendars, convincing ourselves that we're busy. We love that, don't we? We love being busy, or at least telling other people that we're busy, and yet others of us try to numb ourselves to this feeling with constant entertainment, don't we? We try to numb ourselves to this restlessness that each of us faces. And I'm sure many of us can relate to the idea of having a day off or maybe even on a Sunday evening. It gets to about five or six o'clock and inexplicably this feeling of guilt and shame starts to settle in where you feel like I'm not doing enough. I've got to find something productive to do. I've got to make a better use of my time. This guilt and this shame, this constant feeling of needing to grind, of needing to hustle, of needing to improve, of needing to be better, of needing to be productive, of needing to make something with my life. It's something that we all struggle with to some degree. The religious leader's attempts to define the parameters of the Sabbath reveals a deep sickness within each of us. So let's get back to the story to see what went wrong and then how Jesus responded to this issue. The story starts off with the disciples plucking heads of grain and eating them. Now interestingly, we read in Deuteronomy that this practice was completely legal according to the law. In Deuteronomy chapter 3 verse 25, I'm telling you, God's law is so incredible. It was actually, they they couldn't, when they went and they harvested their fields, there was laws for gleaning, that they had to leave the outer edges of the field to remind them that you don't always get to accomplish what you started. But that also left grace for other people who were coming along and needed something to eat. They could pluck the heads of the grain so that they would have food that would be provided for them. And so we see that there was nothing wrong with what the disciples were doing. It just had to deal with the day in which they were doing it. There was nowhere in scripture that taught what the disciples were doing was a problem. And this is an important detail because what the Pharisees are about to accuse the disciples of doesn't come from Scripture. And as a result, they are enforcing laws for an entirely different kind of Sabbath from the one that God intended. In plucking the grains of head, did I say that right? In plucking the heads of grain, the disciples were accused of breaking four different laws. First, they were harvesting just by the simple act of plucking. They were harvesting. After they harvest, they threshed by rubbing the grains in their hands. And then they winnowed by letting the chaff fall to the ground. And then all of that resulted in them actually preparing food for themselves. So all of the things that they did in the simple act of plucking and eating the food caused them to break the law in four different ways. And it was a huge deal. If you were accused of breaking the law on the Sabbath, you could be put to death as a result of it. Apparently, the Pharisees were creeps because all of this took place as they were gathering uh, the grain in the field without anybody else watching. But they clearly must have had spies who were keeping an eye on Jesus. As we're about to see in the following story, it's apparent that they were spying on Jesus to catch him in the act that would allow them to accuse and arrest him. Interestingly, though, instead of Jesus pointing out that his disciples hadn't done anything unlawful, he decides to take the Pharisees in a completely different direction. He begins by telling them the story of David. You can read about this story for yourself in 1 Samuel 21. And you read this story where David is fleeing for his life from Saul. He's not yet king, right? He's fleeing for his life from Saul. He and his men go to the high priest, Ahimelech. They're starving, they're hungry, and there's nothing for them to eat except for the bread of presence or the show bread. And what does Ahimelech do? He takes the bread that is meant only for the high priests, the priests, and he gives it to David. And in so doing, they break the law. Jesus uses this analogy to make a point and to say something profound about the purpose of the Sabbath and make a bold claim about himself. First, Jesus puts the Pharisees in a position where if they're going to condemn Jesus and his disciples for breaking their laws, they would also need to condemn David and his men for breaking God's law. By drawing a parallel between David and himself, he also has something incredible to say. He says that the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now we talked about this two weeks ago. What does it mean when Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man? He's not saying that he's just another man or just like anybody else on the streets. He's actually referencing Daniel chapter 7 where it talks about how there is one coming who stood before the Ancient of Days and who was given a kingdom and he appeared as the Son of Man. Jesus is saying, I'm that man. I am the son of man who stood before the ancient of days, and I am also the Lord of the Sabbath. Now we know that the word Lord is actually the word Yahweh, which means Jesus is actually claiming to be God himself, God in the flesh. Jesus is making a bold claim. He is saying that if David can break the law, How much more is the one who made the law able to break it, even though he wasn't breaking any laws. Because ironically, David actually broke the law, whereas Jesus and his disciples only broke manufactured laws by man. Jesus is trying to teach us something important about the law. Nowhere in Scripture, Is the moral law ever abolished? You never see the Ten Commandments being done away with. But the ceremonial law, the Sabbath, in the case of David, was put aside for a greater purpose. First, we learn that the law never trumps human needs. But even more importantly, we learn that the ceremonial law was provisional meaning that it would have been or it will be put away when something better comes along. Something better came along, and his name is Jesus. When Jesus says the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath, he is saying that something better than the Sabbath has come. As the creator of all things, he is the Lord of rest, true soul rest, has finally come. We no longer have to bear up under the weight of not doing enough, because the God of all creation has come to provide us rest. We see this accomplished when Jesus was on the cross in John 19, verse 30, and he says the words, "'It is finished.'" What is finished? Everything required for salvation. Even for the most anxious heart. Even for the one who can't stop thinking or worrying about the future. Jesus is saying to every single one of us in this room, everything that needs to be done is done. It is finished. It is complete. Which is why we celebrate on the Lord's day. Did you realize that? I don't, I don't know if this is embarrassing for me to admit, but I didn't realize it until I studied this passage. Whereas in Judaism, they observe the Sabbath on the last day of the week. We celebrate it on the first day of the week, right? Because it was the day that Jesus was resurrected. And now instead of working for our rest, we work from our rest. It's important that we don't see though Jesus abolishing the Sabbath, he's not. Rather, he is fulfilling it. Right before these two stories, we read Jesus say, and you can look in your Bibles if they're open, in Luke chapter 5, verse 36 through 39, he also told them in a parable, no one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment, right? That's so when that new fabric shrinks, it doesn't rip an even bigger hole, If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, because when the new wine ferments, it will expand, and it will cause the old wineskins to burst. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for He says, the old is good. The significance of what Jesus is saying here can't be uh, understated. Only rabbis with authority could interpret the law in new ways. And here we see Jesus rescuing the Sabbath from the Pharisees and the religious leaders. They were using it as a means of self-righteousness, putting heavy, heavy burdens on people that even they couldn't fulfill. Now Jesus rescues the original intentions of the Sabbath and accomplishes it and fulfills it for its intended purpose, which is rest. As if to further drive the point of the story home, we read about another Sabbath where Jesus enters the synagogue and he's teaching. There's a man with a withered hand, and the Pharisees are once again creeping on Jesus. It actually says, if you read the original Greek, that they're looking out of the corner of their eye. They're trying to catch Jesus doing something that he's not supposed to do. There's a man with a withered hand, and they're watching to see if Jesus would heal him. And if we refer back to the 39 rules in the Mishnah, Jesus would have been prevented from healing this man because his injury wasn't life-threatening. Medical procedures were not permitted to be performed on the Sabbath unless there was a life-threatening issue. It's crazy. Even in the case of broken bones, could you imagine this with me? Even in the case of broken bones, they weren't allowed to be set until the next day. So once again, we see Jesus' true identity revealed as it says in verse 8, but he knew their thoughts, which is a display of his authority. It goes on to say that Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to destroy it? And now Jesus goes one step further than the earlier story to say that it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath, as a matter of fact, it would be unlawful to not do good. James says in chapter 4, verse 17, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Jesus speaks in this moment, and it reveals that while Jesus is there to heal and restore life, that he speaks and he reveals that, that they're there, he's there to restore life while they're there to destroy it. He is showing the unlawful act that they are committing in their hearts against Jesus and that they've broken the law while he hasn't broken a single law. You know, we might be tempted to think of Jesus as a rebel who broke all the rules, but what we actually find is that Jesus has done nothing wrong. It was the Pharisees who were breaking the law all along. My favorite part of the story is actually found in verse 10 where it says, And after looking at them all, everything the Pharisees had done so far in this moment was covert, sneaking around and spying on Jesus, which apparently they weren't very good at it because Jesus clearly knew what they were up to. So he gets into a staring contest with them. And instead of hiding in the shadows, he told the man to stretch out his hand. Which would be the ultimate test. Who has greater authority, the religious leaders or Jesus? Is Jesus right about what he's saying or are the religious leaders right? Clearly, Jesus is right because the man's hand is restored, as if it's the stamp of God's approval. This should convince us of the authority of Christ and his ability to interpret the law. While the Pharisees are busy trying to destroy life, Jesus is worried about restoring it. Luke even mentions that it's his right hand. As if to say, not only does he restore this man's hand, but he restores him to the ability to work and provide for him and his family. Jesus gave this man back his life. Surely, now the religious leaders would believe, right? I mean, Jesus just told this man to stretch out his shriveled hand, and his hand is restored right before their very eyes. How often have you heard someone say, I'll believe it when I see it? This is not the case though for the religious leaders, nor is it true of us either. We are too hard of heart. We have this thing called confirmation bias where we take information and we cause it to reaffirm what we already believe in light of what we already know. It says in verse 11 that instead of believing, that they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do with Jesus. The Pharisees were filled with fury. The actual meaning is mindless rage. Rage. They lost their minds on Jesus, and they became senseless. The question remains, though, as that said here by the religious leaders, what do we do with Jesus? You know, if we remind ourselves that this passage is all about the lordship and authority of Jesus, it should help determine how we should respond to him. Either we'll become a follower of Jesus and experience the rest that he provides, or we will become restless and fight constantly against the lordship over our lives. If there is a restlessness regarding your life, you have yet to fully submit to Christ. Nor have you allowed the gospel to be applied to every aspect of your life. If there is this constant internal itch that can't be scratched by activity, then warning signs should be going off. Unfortunately, we can't help ourselves. We constantly overcomplicate life in a way that makes it wearisome, and then we blame God for it. If your walk with God has become overwhelming, we have made the same mistake as the religious leaders. The antidote to your restlessness is not melatonin, nor is it a vacation. The only way to find true rest is to become a subscriber to the Son of Man, the Lord of the Sabbath. It is to surrender your life to Jesus, the one who provides true rest. It is to say that out of all of the good things that I can do with my life, God has only called me to do a few of them. Out of all the places that I could go, this is the place where God has called me. It's to stop grinding and hustling. It's to be okay falling behind in work and at times to not keep up with the Joneses, recognizing that when our life is over, we will leave things undone. It's to take time to recalibrate ourselves weekly and worship God. It's to get a good night's sleep because we worship the God who never sleeps and to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's all okay because Jesus said it is finished. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you. God, I thank you for your word. God, if we're honest with ourselves, every single one of us feels this internal pressure to do more, to be more, to accomplish more. And Lord, if we don't feel it, it's because we numb ourselves and we're in danger of being lazy at times. But God, I pray that we would know that you are Lord of the Sabbath. That God, you've called us to this place and in this moment to reflect upon who you are to be reminded of what Jesus said on the cross, that it is finished. And God, if it is truly finished, then we can find rest in you. There's nothing that we have to do. There's nothing that we need to accomplish. We don't have to prove ourselves to anyone. God, we can find rest in you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to know who you are and that by believing in your sovereignty over our lives, we too can know that it is finished, that we can live for you and experience the joy of what it means to be a follower of Christ. God, we ask your blessing on this night and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.